I was afraid to say anything. I didn't think my story was worth anything. I didn't think I was worth anything. So to have a impact on somebody, it's like, yeah. oh my God, like I, f- I feel it's a, um, an integration of my calling and the, and the six-year-old that I carry in my heart who met God in the trees, like yeah, we're here for a reason. And we went through this thing, yeah. it wasn't in vain. humans. Welcome to the Feminine Rebellion Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Frasca, mom of three wild kids, a crazy lover of garlic, a wild woodswoman and hiker, a voracious reader, and a feminine leadership coach. I'm on a mission to create a rebellion of female leaders who are ready to dig deep into their purpose and push massive ripples of love and justice into the world. I believe we are all born leaders, and this world needs us now more than ever. This podcast aims to amplify the voices of the women who are out in the world and doing the damn thing. These are the rebels who inspire and ignite me. They're the feminine rebels who are working to raise our collective consciousness, helping us uproot from our patriarchal conditioning and bring the world back into balance. If you hear something that makes you go, hell yes, reach out to these guests, dive into their work, collaborate with them, or help hire them to work with you. Consider these women the guides on your own inner rebellion. Okay, thanks for listening. Let's do this. Feminine Rebellion, I have a very special guest today. Tia Levings is an author whose work shines light on the abuses in Christian fundamentalism and how they impact our headlines and culture today. Her book, The Well-Trained Wife, releases with St. Martin's Press in 2024. I would love, love, love to welcome you, Tia, to the show. It is my divine, glorious pleasure to have you here with me today and to dive into into you, your story, and your story of reclamation. I know this is going to resonate with so many women who listen to those podcasts. So so welcome. I'm so fucking thrilled you're here. Um, Let's just dive in because that's yes, just what we do. That's just what we do. And and why don't you, you know, tell our listeners a little bit about you and your story? Yeah. Um, the bio is like I I smiled so big when you said it because the book's not out yet. But every time I hear the title, I get this like total rush because I've I lived this experience that was supposed to end in my annihilation. And I didn't think that it had any cultural relevance. And then when I sat down and I started writing it as part of my own trauma therapy and our country started changing in ways where I saw my experience mirrored all around us in our headlines, in our culture, in our entertainment, I realized my story had relatable relevance that needed to be shared. Um, So it's an important, I feel like it's, it's it's not just important like in my own little journey. It's important because 
women are going to start experiencing, they already are, have started to experience what I went through in my little house hiding in plain sight. You know, we were normal suburban neighbors. Um, We were probably the weird Christians next door. You probably all have somebody in your life where you're like, what's off with that family? They're a little bit, they're a little bit really conservative or a little bit really weird. Um, What's going on behind closed doors is actually playing out on our national stage. So um, I feel an obligation to tell that story and I wanted to tell it widely. So the book deal, the, the, all of it that's come together, um, is, is gratifying, but it's also just very exciting to see where it goes. I, I love these conversations because women talking saved my life. And mm-hmm. so getting into these conversations, like you just never know what's going to hook somebody's interest and make them go into their own life and see where they're experiencing those things themselves. Um, and that's where real life change happens. So, um, uh, that's kind of a vague overview. I feel like I didn't talk about specifics that much. Yeah. No, back. no, that's okay. So, you know, you talked about hiding in plain sight. Like yeah. what what were you hiding? What was what was Everything. your life like? <laughs> uh, yeah. What was your Everything. life like? So, you were living in a um, you know, in a Christian fundamentalist household, you know, following is it the seven you know, the, uh, the IBLP is, you know, tell yeah. us a little bit about like. So I'll start at the were. beginning and assume that the, the listeners don't know these, some of these insider terms and I'll yeah, try to yeah. kind of define them as I go. So I grew up in a Southern Baptist mega church. It was the largest church in the Southeast in the eighties and nineties. And our pastor was the president of the Southern Baptist convention. So I, I was not in a fringe group as a child. I was in mainstream evangelical Christianity. And that comes with its own bag of trauma that you'll see people unpacking today, such as purity culture and high control groups and prosperity gospel, um, toxic gratitude, spiritual bypassing. Those are some of the things that just being a plain evangelical can rack into someone's life. Um, When I married young, because I married the person that God said, (laughs) this is is who showed up and said wanted me. Um, I was 19. Mm -hmm. And my husband um, was a theological um, nut, basically. That was his hobby, passion, everything. And we got pulled into fundamentalism. So um, Bill Gothard's Institute of Basic Life Principles was a started out as a group in the 80s, like a um, very fringe um, biblical way to live your life. They didn't really affiliate with any single denomination. So there's little pockets in every church. And their model was you go to these big conventions as IBL peers, but then you go into your home church and you you evangelize from within. You cannibalize the church. Mm. So I became, as a young wife, I became a mentee to somebody who was going to the conferences. I myself never went to an IBLB conference, but I sat at her table and at her feet in the Titus 2 model. Titus 2 is a verse in the Bible that talks about the older women should teach the younger women and the younger women should be pleased to sit at their feet and learn, learn this wisdom, which appealed to my mm. feminine urge to learn from wise women. Well, then, yeah, this is exactly it. This is like learning yes. from the crone. It sounds very enticing. And that's so key because what fundamentalism does over and over and over again is it takes the very pure, real desires of your heart and it perverts them. So the biggest tool of manipulation for me became motherhood. I wanted to be a good mother. I was living Mm. in domestic abuse. I couldn't name. I had a 
urgent need to get my baby to sleep through the night. And she took all of that desire and she, they, there's a group of mentors um, that they molded me into this young fundamentalist wife. And at the same time, the husbands were molding the husband, my, my husband into this life. And so we became, we became fundamentalists without realizing we were joining a fundamentalist group because we were just in the influence. So what did that look like? How were you, how were you molded? It's thing by thing by thing. I have this series on my Instagram. It's one of the things that blew my platform up last year. Um, Things my Gothard funding mentors said I could skip so that I could have a quiverful. So a quiverful is, is, um, refers to a verse in the Bible that happy is the man that has a quiver full of arrows. Children are like arrows unto the Lord. And so if you want to raise an army for God, you want to have as many children as possible. Um, you're going to quickly run into practical matters immediately. So they have to solve those practical matters so that you will continue to have as many babies as possible. Their growth model is evangelism to the family first and to make a family as big as you can. So like in a generation time, you can go from 10 to 100 you know, in 18 years. And then that hundred has 10 kids. And now you've like pyramid stacked your, your base, which we have seen play out. Um, so if the goal was to have my body produce as many babies as possible, um, they had to solve my problem thing by thing. So in order to have that many babies, I needed more time on my hands. So no doctor's appointments, no, you can't have other influences in your life. So no therapists, you can't um, have play dates with your children. You don't want to put them in school where they'll be socialized by peers. You want to have high control over what everyone's reading. You don't need to go to the dentist because they're just going to require you come in twice a year and that's more time. You don't need prenatal care because they're just going to put you on a calendar. It's thing after thing after thing. Wait, 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 hold on a second. No doctor's appointments, no dentist appointments. This is for you and your children and my children. So it's so subtle. It's so subtle. This is groups of women sitting together, nursing their babies. And it looks beautiful. The aesthetic, you'll see it everywhere. The aesthetic is sweet scrubbed children that are happy and obedient mommies who have very simple lives and they're able to be attuned to their children. Fathers, like very clear hierarchy of command. And so it, you're sitting in that environment and it looks and, and seems like everything's working. But on the day-to-day, if your child has a sniffle, well, you're not supposed to go to the pediatrician because they're just going to make you vaccinate. And if they make you vaccinate, then, you know, they're going to have you do these other medications. And then you're going to, it's like the slippery, slippery, all these bad things are going to happen if you make these, what I assumed was a healthy mainstream choice. And I was still doing to some extent, I was taking my babies for their well checks and I was still seeing midwives for prenatal care. And um, what was my other thing that i I rebelled at so much. I went back and forth on pants. I didn't want to wear the jumpers, um, but they said. Oh, I so you had a, a, a uniform or specific yeah. clothing you needed my to wear. Book, my book was originally called the American Burka because I used to say the denim jumper is the American Burka. Now. 20 years have passed and that hasn't aged well. And that sounds Islamophobic because the ch- the conversation we've had around burqas and also Islam is, has changed. But yeah. 20 years ago, we were fighting this Gulf War and these people were so against Muslim fundamentalism and women in you know, full hijab. Yes. 
And I was like, what are you talking about? We have the jumpers. We're doing the exact same thing here. Every single thing yeah. we say that they're they're wrong for, we're doing in our own homes. So so you you had this, I mean, it's like you're you knew. Yeah. There was a piece of you that knew the entire time that you were being led down the a patriarchal path. Yeah. I had a um a little rebel spirit within me that I am so grateful for. I really get into this in my book and I'm so grateful for it. It's my spirit of preservation. I, my first 10 years of my life, I was not in evangelicism. We lived in upper Michigan. I grew up in the woods. Church was something we did occasionally, but it wasn't this big high control system. And I wandered in the woods constantly. So in my personal story, I have this very developed vein of natural wisdom and wonder. I had a God encounter mm. in the trees as a very young child. And that helped me all the way through. Mm. Um, I had a major turning point with my third baby because my third baby died. And that was a big, massive, massive, massive explosion uh, in my heart and soul. But it helped me reconnect back to what I thought. Um, and it was still another seven years before my physical body could leave, but my head and my heart left with her death. And her name was Clara. She brought clarity to me. That is, it was clarity mm -hmm. of, of this is bullshit. And I don't want to, I can't protect my children this way. I can't be the mother that I want to be this way. Um, but I was mm -hmm. in a high control marriage and a high control system at that point. So it's not so easy to step away. Did she, did she, and, uh, and stop me if this is, too deep of a question, but did she die because of lack of medical care? No, um, actually she had a birth defect. She had hypoplastic left heart syndrome. And um, I was on the no prenatal care track. This was my third baby in three years. And I have, was like trying to do the thing. I was like, okay, I'm not going to have the ultrasound because of the dangerous sound waves. And I'm going to keep my midwife visits to a minimum. But I didn't feel settled that whole pregnancy. And I was terrified <laughs> to have three babies under three. But also I was like, God, if there is any reason why I should be in a hospital, please let me know. And I went into preterm labor at 32 weeks and didn't ask. I just went to the hospital. I, I could have just as easily as many fundamentalist women do go home, have a premature still uh, uh, childbirth. They're not supposed to be having babies at 32 weeks at home, but they do it and, and then deal with it that way. I could have done that path, but I was like, I can't breathe. I shouldn't be in labor. I'm going to the emergency room. Um, so they, that's where they found her heart defect. And then I was on bed rest for eight weeks. And then we went to, um, after she was born, we went to Atlanta to have her heart repaired and she lived for two months. And then the night before we were supposed to go for the home from the hospital, she choked in her sleep and, and it wasn't supposed to die. You know, it wasn't supposed to happen, um, but she absolutely changed my life, cracked me open, helped me see the light, would not leave, has never left. Um, here right now. Hi, babe. Hi, baby. Um, hi, Clara. <laughs> she's definitely here. and. Um, and I'm so grateful, but I want to be careful with that language because to anyone listening who's mm. grieving, um, yeah, that is a very complicated language yes. to explore. Um, yeah. yeah, but so when I came home from that, I was a different person, and I was in an environment where grief wasn't allowed, 
I, you're, you have in the, in the Christian environment, you are supposed to celebrate someone's in heaven. You are supposed to be grateful and happy and all the things that, um, she's with Jesus now. And all I was, was pissed. Mm. My baby belonged with yes. me. Children belong with yes. their mothers. And I, this rage was coming out of me. And I didn't know until I wrote the book, actually, that the rage was bottled from so many, I had been on a path of suffocation and a path of suppression that erupted from me in, in the name of this grief and, and completely altered me after that time. That was in 99, if you need the timeline, little marker. <laughs> if that's yeah, helpful. Yeah, yeah. So first of all, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Yeah, thank you. Um, and, you know, this is your third child and then you had two more. Yeah. Well, I had, um, two more miscarriages and then two more babies. Um, we left the IBLP around that time. Like we, we distanced ourselves from those mentors, very related to grief. Um, but then the way fundamentalism works and the way that it politicized and worked in the, um, early 2000s is that it there, there was this huge reformed mov- movement in the presbyterian world so we had been southern baptist but we switched to pro- um, presbyterian reformed and other groups that are still very active today um and it's very complementarian which means there's very defined h- roles for the husband and the wife and the husband is over the wife and submission is involved and then we get into really high control marriage, um, something called domestic discipline reared its head right right around the time of my fifth baby, which is the teaching. I see your eyes are big. It is the teaching that women are subject to their husbands the same way a child would be because the husband is responsible to the maker of the universe for everything that happens in his household. He as priest representative has to stand before God for everything that happened under his roof, which means his, his stakes are high. And so he better discipline his wife the way that he would discipline his child because everything is riding on how well he led led and controlled his family. Um, wow. and I so, so this is the patriarchy like on steroids. On steroids, on steroids. And when, so when to, to, to loop it back to what I was hiding, I'm telling you, we were living on a regular suburban street, going to church every Sunday, kids who played in the yard and our neighbors didn't know that was going on. I mean, that was, we just looked like those weird homeschoolers. (laughs) That's, and there were times where I wore pants. Like I wasn't, I took the jumper off after Clara died and I, I wore jeans, even though they said jeans would sexually arouse my sons. Like there's a whole thing about how mothers can um, nurture their children to be um, incestuous if they dress inappropriately. So it's yeah. very ironic because of the way the Duggar story worked out, by the way. But. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I did I did some digging yesterday. For those who don't know who the Duggars are, uh, actually, do, do would you mind giving a 30-second explanation yeah. of the Duggar family? Because it's kind of, it's important. It's relevant. Jim Bob and Michelle Duggar have 20 kids. Um, they are a very prominent IBLP family, although they downplay their IBLP involvement. Uh, they had a show called 19 Kids and Counting and then Counting On and their oldest son, Josh, um, uh, sexually assaulted four, four of the sisters, five of the sisters, and then later went on to um, be convicted of child torture porn last year. Um, and he is serving a 16-year sentence, I believe. I think it's 16. He himself now has eight kids and seven or eight. And 
they are, they were a popular television show on TLC that is a, a physical embodiment of what thousands, maybe millions of families live privately that don't make it to TV. And they're, they're you know, they don't have the editors and the quaint music playing over their weird dysfunctions, but um, it's, it's there. And so, I mean, for, for those of us, I'm in the Northeast, you know, maybe it's prevalent here. I've never, you know, you got some flavor flavor up there because you have traditional Catholics up there and you have, um, you have a little bit of an exodus coming to the upstate New York area around the word of life Bible Institute and it's Scroon Lake area. Um, so there is there is American fundamentalism in the Northeast. It's quieter because it's in the woods. Right. And so there's like this undercurrent. And, you know, when I was, you know, reading some of your things, you know, on Instagram yesterday, you know, you spoke a little bit about how this Christian fundamentalism has seeped its way into our politics. And, you yeah. know, can, can you speak to that a little bit? Extremely strategic. This was not an accident. Um, in the eighties. And if you're looking for a really good structural book to explain some of this, I really recommend a book called Jesus and John Wayne. Um, it'll break it down by the decade. Um, but in the eighties, the, um, conservative Republican party, in order to make a power move, um, united around the issue of abortion and they, the IBLP rose at the same time. And Bill Gothard's whole thing was that we are a city on a hill it's called dominionist theology, which means that Christians are intended to take over and have dominion of the world, but they're going to start with America for the reason of bringing on the second coming of Christ. So they believe they have a divine appointment to have dominion in our country and they need religious freedom in order to do what they're going to do, but they aren't planning on granting anyone else religious freedom when they are in dominion. And it's really important to remember that the way they run their their homes is the model that they're using for the country. So when you see a patriarchal man and he is very high control at home and there's this really rigid structure about what everyone does, that is the model for the country. Um, that like group in the 80s, their goal was to spread, like I explained with the population, but they also went into our legal system, into our law schools. They formed their own law school They raised their children specifically to become political and run for office so that when 30 years pass, you have a line. There's a a long list of Republicans who have IBLP in their background, um, big, big ones that come to mind, Mike Huckabee, Ted Cruz, Mark Meadows. These are the biggies. They so all are. Ted Cruz is all, Yes. Oh, <laughs> and they, no so way. You see this affiliation come together. There, the influence is to like they. This what we see happening in the Republican Party is the the culmination of what was planted 25, 30 years ago. And when you see a patriarchal family where the husband looks one way. And the wife is at home. She's not allowed to work. And she's having as many babies as you want. And then you see that our Roe v. Wade was overturned and they don't want us to have birth control. That's because their model is that women are not in the workplace. They're at home having as many babies as they can have. It's like a a snake eating its tail. So 
people people are familiar with the handmaid's tale this model is the prequel to what we see in the handmaid's tale i always say i live the prequel to the to the handmaid's tale because margaret atwood used real christian fundamentalist groups as her material she that's she didn't make that stuff out of the sky she she went to real groups and said this is how they're living and this is the conclusion that is will unfold if it's allowed to do so so wow that's why what happened in my little suburban home matters to somebody you know else in the country because this is where our politics is going yes and i mean you know you were living a very extreme version of this but you know there are threads (laughs) of this woven through our entire culture right so yeah so so let's get, I mean, this is a story about your reclamation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, where are you now? I know you are remarried. So you ended your first marriage. I'm so curious about, you know, I, I know because I follow you. So anyone else who's listening, you have, we will link to all of Tia's handles and all of her profiles in the show notes. So you, you must, must, must dig in. You know, so I, I have the, um, the surface level description mm-hmm. of kind of how you left. I know what happened in the middle of the night and you had a, a little bit of support and a supportive family, parents right. of your own um, ready to take you in. But can you tell us, tell us a little bit more about how that marriage ended and what made you decide? Like, how did you, how did you get there? Well, um, so let me take a breath and organize some thoughts here. Yeah. Because so much has changed and so much has changed that I haven't even, I haven't even really um, fully talked about online yet. Um, When, so Clara died and then we had about seven more years of increasing control. And at the same time, my husband's mental health was increasingly deteriorating. Um, One of the, the, cost factors in the patriarchy of life is that it doesn't benefit men either. And there was no language for for mental health issues. There was no support for that. So we weren't allowed to go to therapists or doctors. We weren't, you know, your problems are supposed to be prayed away. That wasn't serving him. And the extreme amount of additional responsibility we were optionally putting on his head was also not serving him. Um, so, I mean, slippery slope, I won't spoil the, all the details, but, um, ended up in a really high control, very, very physically abusive, sexually abusive, spiritually abusive, verbally abusive, and all the abuses um, situation in isolated in the mountains of Tennessee. And when I decided to leave, it wasn't a decision as much as it was um, a survival reflex because I escaped a near murder suicide. I would have died if I'd stayed another five minutes. Um, it deteriorated rapidly in the last six months of that experience. That was in 2007. Um, and it was a very violent and very dramatic escape. Um, I did have a little bit of support in the form of a priest. And then my parents were available to kind of catch us and and, and help us be safe. But then I ended up in hiding for six months. Um, had a very violent divorce from him. It took years to come to any kind of um stability uh we had two forensic investigations which if you're not familiar is a very long process with a psychologist clinical psychologist who looks at 
the whole family and all of the dynamics and they research everything and and decide and they never were able to put my children in his hands. So he, he never had any um, custody or anything like that. The youngest just turned 18. So I am newly free from all obligation, but I really didn't have very much obligation at the end. Um, he has moved on. He has a different life. What I hear is that he is improving and I wish him all the best because I've done all my shit and forgiveness and understanding and all of that around that. But um, that's how that ended. And what that was in 2007. So what happened was I was a single mom with four kids and I had to move forward and move on, but I also had to recover. And holding those two things in the same body proved really hard. Um, I had a whole years of physical manifestation in the form of symptoms I had to untangle. I had uh, been through every trauma modality you can imagine. Um, it took about, I would say 10 solid years just to, to recover mm-hmm. to a pretty, pretty stable way. And those were the same years my kids were growing up. So I have mm-hmm. a lot of like grief, work, and sadness around not being able to be fully whole for, for the rest of their upbringing. I, it was a radically different upbringing from their early childhood and they're amazing people and I'm so proud of them. Um, but I, you know, I know like, oh, if I had been, if I had been like I am today, even we would have had an easier time of it for several years. Um, I did remarry. I fell in love with a love story of a man and, um, and I have to caveat that we got divorced this year. And I have not, oh. I have not announced that. Um, I don't know when yes. this is going to air, but um, we did it real quiet on the lowdown, really amicably. Um, right. We're twenty years apart, and it was it was just really different this year. And when my book sold, and he realized the life of an author's spouse was his reality, and you know, it just that we hit a done. Yeah. But it's okay. It's so okay. It is. My trauma healing brings me to myself. It's a journey to myself Mm. and to my wholeness. And I no longer needed um, any external person to complete me. So it wasn't like Mm. he was a love story who solved the the first marriage or it wasn't anything like that. It was, Mm. you were a wonderful person in my life for this time. And, And it was really hard to go through trauma recovery in a new relationship. So like we obviously had our issues, but- I'm okay. Like I'm, I am fine yes. and I am reclaiming the life ahead. There is more ahead than all that has been. And that's yes. where I try to stay is in the light and the shining and the, yes. the um, hell I've given my enough of my life trauma. I don't want to give any more of my life to trauma no. power and strength and health and spread. Like I want to <laughs> spread all yes. the power. You push your so. love around. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So let's, let's, let's talk about this reclamation let's talk about this reclamation so um you know we talked about you know how you know living under this kind of patriarchal regime kind of set you up for you know uh being disconnected from your body um being disconnected from your wisdom any sense of pleasure and now here you are i know it's been 15 years so, um, you know, what was that path like? Yeah, um, you can't accomplish any of their goals without without disembodying. Um, you have to disconnect. So as a young child, I disconnected because all of yourself and all of your intuition and preferences and 
expression, everything has to be separated. You are, this is like an active dogma in that you have to die to self and be an empty vessel to fill with the Lord's services. Um, Mm -hmm. But it is also a subtle, constant pressure cooker of, you know, you're sinning if you lean on your own understanding. The Bible says, do not lean on your own understanding. And um, your guidance is only supposed to come from your husband or an older woman who lives the exact same way that you did. Um, Your your pleasure does is irrelevant. The pleasure is completely and one hundred percent irrelevant. Whether it's pleasure over food, um, touch, desire, consent, those are things that don't exist um, outside of the Lord. You're supposed to have pleasure in the Lord. So you like you're disconnected. I was. Um, my story is fraught with marital rape on my wedding night and sex oh. on demand and the the teachings of constant availability and. Yes. Um, so, you know, they're not wearing underwear underneath their bon- their jumpers. A lot of them are not wearing underwear under their jumpers because they're mentally supposed to be readily available at all times. Yeah. There was a term. There was a, <laughs> there was a term I um I wrote down yesterday, which now I can't find. It was like joyfully available. Joyfully available. It doesn't matter if you're hurting, if you're postpartum, if you're on your period. Some people are very strict about period. Other people are not. It depends on what group you're in. But the whole idea is that not only are you supposed to always be willing, but you are supposed to never complain, never say you're too tired, never tell it, say you have a headache. You know, it's, you're just constantly. Now I, in my experience, I had the opposite problem. I had a husband who did not like physical touch, kissing. He couldn't handle fluids. We had five minute encounters that were violent a couple times a year. Somehow I got pregnant every time. I mean, my experience is not that. And it is also that because I was not allowed to say no. There was no pleasure. There there was no like value placed in that. It's not even a conversation. It's not even something you're going to think about. So to have that as your formative years, you know, you're a virgin, and until you until you get there and then this is what you're supposed to do and there's no all of the physiological things that we know now about you know uh, foreplay or readiness or health yeah. just sexual health none of that is is available to you so you just kind of have to navigate it and learn it and all of that requires disembodiment and disconnection every day like and so it's so foreign to feel anything or to like, I am still, I am still in my active therapy. I am still learning how to integrate myself and stay present when I'm triggered because my Mm -hmm. subconscious immediate reflex is to fly away, fly away, leave this room out of your body. And I'm like pulling myself back in and saying, we can do this. We are here and we are not leaving. And that is new work for me. <laughs> you <laughs> are fucking processing. You are a fucking goddess incarnate. Well, thank you. But I think we all are. <laughs> we all are. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I can only imagine, Tia, that there are women who are hearing your story mm-hmm. who want to learn from you. I mean, are you finding yourself like, you know, getting a lot of reach outs from yeah. women? I mean, I some, who are saying like, how did you do it? Help me. Tell me how. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, um, this is a new space, new air for me to breathe because I didn't, I kind of have this um, parallel journey around value and worth. And I didn't 
do that math. I mean, to some people, it's really obvious. If you tell a story that's going to help people, they're going to come to you for help. And that seems very symptomatic. It didn't to me. I felt like I'm going to tell this story and I won't really hear back from people. And that's not what's happening. I hear from people every day. Either they need, um, they're looking for advice or support or they have already gleaned so much and they just want to let me know that it's been impactful to them. Um, That is such a reclamation because I, when I was living in that, I stuttered. I couldn't order pizza. I couldn't hardly speak. I was afraid to say anything. I didn't think my story was worth anything. I didn't think I was worth anything. So to have a impact on somebody, it's like, oh my God, like I, I feel it's a, um, an integration of my calling and the, and the six-year-old that I carry in my heart who met God in the trees, like, yeah, we're here for a reason. And we went through this thing yeah. and it wasn't in vain. There's so much yeah. of that life that feels like oh. no one cares and I'm isolated and alone. And this, why am I even here? This serves no purpose. And I'm careful to say my suffering was not for a purpose, but I'll be damned if I'm going to have go live through it and not use it. Like that's my material. Yes. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Like what a reclamation. It's like the fucking, yeah. the lotus growing from the mud, right? You're like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to use this as compost yeah. for the next version of my story. Great metaphor. Yes. Yes. So here we are 15 years later, you've created this new life. You're writing a book. I mean, people are coming to you. (laughs) The book comes out 2024. Yes. It's actually now slated for my 50th birthday. Six, 24, 24. (laughs) I don't know if it'll stay that, but that's, that's kind of what it is right now. Yeah. And so how, if, if someone who's listening is, living where you were living or how you were living 15 years ago, what advice or what would you say to them? Um, What kind of wisdom would you share? Yeah. So earlier I alluded to women talking, save my life. Um, I really don't know that I would be here without the internet. Um, I found a, a, a forum, which ironically was called trapdoor and and it was with, <laughs> was with women who um, were having conversations completely different than anything that I that I was living in, but I was curious about. So we talked about fiction, fictional novels, movies, wine, family, motherhood outside of fundamentalism because they didn't know what I was living in through. Um, and we just had normal conversation. And it was like such a tether for me because it showed me that life was possible outside. It showed me that there Mm -hmm. may be space for me in that, in that universe. And Mm -hmm. I, there's this roomy poem that I love and it, and it says, let your heart be drawn silent or let yourself be silently drawn to the thing you love. It will not lead you astray. If you don't spend some time exposing yourself to what you feel magnetically drawn to there, there's like not a direction to go in. So my advice, it might sound kind of weird, but my advice is to read, talk to people, keep scrolling, engage online mm-hmm. and don't, don't shit on online connection. It's powerful. It's not less than real life. It is real life. We are in 2022. Mm-hmm. It's very real. <laughs> so yeah. Um, and it's the quantum field. Here we are yeah. yes. having 
met in never having touched each other, but we are connecting connecting. and that connection is so vital and it is survival. And so because I believe every woman's path is her own, there's not a prescriptive, here's what you need to go do. Um, it's, Mm. it's more of a nourishing of an environment that will lead you to where you need to go. I believe they will find their way through. And if they surround themselves with life and interest and things that make them want to be stronger themselves, the rest takes care of Mm. itself. So much of those hard choices where you don't know what to do about something, they get solved because you're putting on your own oxygen mask first. You're getting strong yourself and other stuff will fall away or the way will become clear. Or, um, you know, like this is why I talk about open-ended deconstruction. You cannot... You cannot know what your future is. You can only know what like the next step looks kind of interesting. Okay, let me explore that. Like, yes. And I, and I love an ADHD approach to that. If you like lots of different things and you like to hop and skip jump for lots of different things, okay, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Do it. Do it. The way will become yeah. clear. I believe there yeah. are there's wisdom around us. There's guides around us. There's light, power, things, forces we don't see. Yeah. And the way you crack yourself open is is through, you know, learning and being and connection with other people. Yeah. In this moment, in this right. moment. So, so this, this brings me to like, maybe my last question, like, what is your relationship to what is greater? Uh, right so it's a fluid thing. The thing, the answer I give online all the time is um, I am spiritually private because giving a a hard and fast rule to fluid, the fluidity of faith and is what got me into fundamentalism in the first place. Mm-hmm. We crave like, we crave identifiers that are going to help us put someone into a, a lane or a box. A box. Yes. We crave like um, filters, like should we take their information yeah. because yes. like, we're yes. looking for all that stuff. And yeah. I refuse to play into it as much as possible. However, um, when I get to talk about it, which is in this shared space, I get to, um, I'm currently very fascinated with the idea of the divine is in the collective. And I mm-hmm. love the fragment fractals in nature. Like um our our long- Oh my god, have you have you read have you read Emergent Strategy? No, I haven't. Oh my god, I'm sending it to you. Okay. <laughs> okay, keep going, keep going. I'm but here's what I'm in love. So when I see like the tree line reflected in the cloud line in the in our in the the fibers in our lungs look like a tree and and then when I think about the collective energy and how a crowd for or against good, you know, good or evil, that is its own third wisdom. And I do believe I have guides all around me and I, and I, there's a lot there. I, I'm open to all, yeah. um, as a highly visual person. I love exploring with tarot. That was its own mm-hmm. journey even to get me there. Um, my Bible right now is women who run with the wolves because you know, I got to. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm painting my own little Baba Yaga right now. So I, um, I, yeah. all the things, yeah. all the things. I just, you, we are, we are the divine. Yes, exactly. In us, through us, it is rippling through the mycelium under our feet. It is yes. in the sky and the trees and our dogs and our children. It is accessible yeah. in here. I agree. And it's also like not incompatible, even with the words of Jesus, because you have Mm -hmm. like um, the light, the God in me sees the God in you, you know, in in 
other traditions, but in Christianity, you have like, we're all sons and daughters of, of the most high. And, you know, like the language is still in there. If you can hear it, yes. the, evangelical the original you know, ruins it, but yeah, like there's so much ancient wisdom, there's witchcraft yes. in there, there's sorcery. There's so much in the Bible that yeah. we've just blown right past. Um, I feel like I've kind of given enough of my life to that book and that guy don't really have a problem with him, yeah. but like, let the girls have a chance. You know, I want to hear what the women yes. have. So that's, yes. yeah, that's where I'm at. Poetry, nature, uh, music, art, anything that brings us to our higher selves. Um, yesterday in therapy, I had this vision of a, a high council of queens. Um, it, you know, mm-hmm. it just anything I can just open up to. I never talk about this stuff. This is so funny. You got me on this. <laughs> I, I love it. I mean, this is a story of reclamation. This is a story of feminine power. Yeah. This is the story of Kali. You know, this is like, uh, this is, this is magic. This is, you know, I, I was going to say rebirth, but that is tinged with. Yeah. I don't really something. feel so much that I've been reborn as I've um, shed clothing and skin that didn't fit, you know, roles mm-hmm. that were put upon me that, um, yes, I really feel a returning to myself. I don't know if I would have felt that if I hadn't had that foundational 10 years, but I did. And so I feel like I'm carving back into myself. Like, like I am a fluid being. Yes. Yes. Coming my full expression. I love watching you move. Yeah. yeah it's like, I, yeah. <laughs> and you can dance now. Yeah. So it's, this is like, you're lighting my heart on fire. This is not the end for us. Good. I'm sending you a package. Okay. Um, and is there anything else that you would want to share with our listeners? Um, don't be afraid of questions and don't be mm-hmm. afraid of the unknown. Just let yourself be, sit your ass on the ground and let it be and listen and um, and and just... Let, let let everything else fall away. Listen to mm. your listen to your divine inner wisdom. Someone said to me earlier this week, um, they were debating whether or not to be part of a program, and the the program's designer was calling it counterintuitive. And I said, get the fuck out of there as fast as you can. <laughs> we don't yeah, do counterintuitive exactly. anymore. <laughs> oh the opposite of what we want yeah exactly like if they're telling they want you want to hear them say we have a recipe for failure and it's counterintuitive you want to join exactly get out <laughs> run well tia yeah. it has been my absolute pleasure i fucking love you um welcome to the feminine rebellion thank you, thank you very <laughs> much. and listeners yeah listeners we um will put all of all of Tia's information um, in the show notes, follow her on Instagram, follow her story. There's so much amazing um, content, learning wisdom to dive into there. Um, And again, Tia, thank you so much for spending this time with us and shining your light. Thank you. All right. Love you. Mm -hmm. Bye. hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe to the Feminine Rebellion podcast and rate it. 
This will help get my message out into the world, reach new listeners, and create the feminine rebellion this world is screaming for right now. Thank you for listening, and please don't forget to rate and subscribe. Okay, love you. Bye.